Our scripture reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke 2, 1 through 20. If you don't have a Bible of your own, ushers have Bibles standing by. Just raise your hand, they'll bring one right to you. We'll be reading in the ESV, and so the Bibles they hand out are in that version. In case you don't have one, just raise your hand, they'll bring you a Bible. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read aloud and ask you to just follow along with me as I read Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, Ju to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May God bless this reading of his word. Give us understanding as we preach this text <clears throat> this morning. As you remain standing with me, let's bow for a moment of prayer. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come and to worship you. We worship you amidst all the things <coughs> that are going on in, in our lives, all the things that are going on, this city, this area, this nation, in the world. And yet with all those things, we come to focus this morning to worship you. We thank you for each one here. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to give attention to your word and we pray that you would speak to us from your word today. Make it plain. Make your truth plain. Make it practical for us. 
as we leave this place, we would have a greater appreciation for what you have done for us, and we would have a zeal and a passion to trust you, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and daily as our Lord, to, um, to just follow you in all that you have for us. We'll be excited about what you're doing in our lives, and we would welcome the opportunity for you to use us to minister the message of the gospel wherever you send us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated as our choir comes with special music. After the choir, the preaching of God's word for today.
couple people I want to thank. Um, Brian, I want to thank you for preaching Sunday and a message that has just blessed my heart. I've been thinking about it all week long and praising God for that message. So praise God. Um, it was a blessing to me to have God's word um, preached and spoken here and especially giving me that time to um, to just take in and, and, and hear God's word and be ministered to, and I appreciate that. I appreciate two of our ladies that are here today. Um, Savannah, you're here today. Mom, you're here today. And I, I am so thankful for you in your perseverance. Your grieving is not over. We know that. Our grieving is not over. And um, God will just help us deal with it as, as he does in its time but you're in the right place. And I'm so thankful for that, that, that you took time out to come here. It's not, it's not easy to be here, but we're glad that you're here. And we're glad that we can see your face and, and just hug you and uh, just let you know that we're praying for you and that we are grieving with you. We don't grieve the same as you do because you have that position of losing your husband. It has been uh, 43 years in one case and, and uh, 68 years in the other case. Um, so um, we can't say we know how that feels, but we know that you're grieving and, and you're in the right place. I just praise God for you. Um, as I look on our church, we have a small church, but there are several who have lost a spouse. And so you do know what that feels like, and, and you're here. And you set an example. I see Charles in the back. He, he's here all the time. I, I see Jackie, and she's usually the first one here every service. Uh, and, and, and I see Cliff as well, who's just been a faithful one in serving God. So, the, hey, the bar has been set pretty high. <laughs> but it's been set in, in a faithfulness to God. And I, I, I so appreciate that. And so we want to minister to each other um, in, in this time. We want to learn how to do that, and we want to practice that. So, um, by the way, men, let me put this in. We, we, we now need, we need um, those who are willing to drive, those who are willing to pick up. I know both Savannah and my mom will need a ride every Sunday. And so we need somebody who's going to be here every Sunday and who's willing to do that. And so we are looking for um, some drivers, some men who will volunteer to do that and, and uh, we can work with to do that and as well as others that may need that as well. So um, we pray that you will soon get out of that mode of sitting down doing nothing and get into that mode of serving God in any way that you can be used. Don't tell me how you're going to be, be used. Please, don't tell God how you're going to be used. Do what Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6. Lord, here am I, send me. In other words, what do you want me to do, Lord? And then be willing to do whatever God has for you to do. So we pray that that will be a match and we'll be able to minister to each other um, in that way. Um, it's been a challenging time for me. This is the first time getting in the pulpit since preaching my, my father's funeral. And, uh, but I count it a joy each time I can come. And, and do what God has called me to do, and that is to share God's Word. Today we continue in our Christmas series, and we find ourselves here 
in this first portion of Luke. A couple of weeks ago, we did Luke chapter 1. Now we'll look at Luke chapter 2. Um, yes, it falls in line with the Christmas story, the birth of Christ, but I hope that, that we get an, an appreci a renewed appreciation for what this story means. It's not just a fun or neat story. This is history-breaking. God did this to change all of history, and we want to appreciate that and embrace what God has done in His Son, Jesus. Today, I've entitled this, It Just So Happened. It Just So Happened. As we read the story in Luke chapter 2, the writer is telling us some of the things that, that need to be known to appreciate this gospel. It, I'm going to interject that thought. It just so happened that there was a tax decree by Caesar Augustus, and it went throughout all the Roman Empire that they would be taxed. Now you say, that's nothing spiritual. That's nothing of God. In fact, I hate when taxes go up. <laughs> I say amen to that. I hate that. Uh, but I want you to see that God is working in ways that aren't always associate, associated with him working. If God was limited to just working with godly people in a church on Sunday, then God would be very limited indeed. But God reaches into every corner and every place in this world. He reached, it, reached into the governor's mansion. He reached into the political circles. He reaches into jails. He reaches in. There's no place he can't go and have his impact and bring about his purpose. So I want you to see it just so happened that the governor declared that declared or decreed that he needed more taxes and that everybody ought to be taxed. And it just so happened that he sent everybody to their hometown to be registered for this taxing. So it just so happened that Joseph had to go back to his home place into Bethlehem. And so that's where he journeyed to. It just so happened that Joseph was also engaged to a woman who just so happened to be pregnant at this time. And there's a story behind that story, isn't it? Luke doesn't get into the details of that here. But we know in chapter 1 how that came about. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and says, hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Mary's like, what? I mean, I'm engaged, but hey, me and him ain't like that. We actually honor the Lord. So how is this going to happen? The, the angel tells her, look, it's going to be the work of God in your body to bring about an offspring that's not Joseph's. It's God's. So he told her how this was going to happen. You know the story from the Gospel of Matthew that Joseph he, he was kind of like outside of this. He, he didn't know what was going on. All he knew, he was engaged, and his fiancée, as we would call her today, was pregnant, and it wasn't his. He absolutely knew it wasn't his. So while he pondered, Matthew tells us, while he pondered on what to do, then the angel of the Lord gave him some insight in what to do. What a lesson that is, right? <laughs> 
When you're trying to figure things out, give room for God to speak and wait until he speaks, until you do something rash. And so he did that. Now this story, though, tells us that as they traveled now to Bethlehem, it just so happened that, that, that Mary went along too, and, and they are traveling there, and it just so happens that the time comes for her to deliver. I don't know how he did that. I don't know how you get a nine-month, a woman who's pregnant in her ninth month is going to take this trip all the way from Galilee to Bethlehem. You know, in those days, they didn't, like, you know, get on, uh, uh, they don't have Google Maps, they didn't have internet where they can make a reservation in a nice hotel down in Bethlehem and make sure it was plush, you know, make sure it's all set, you know. Um, so they went there, you know, just on a whim, so to speak. We got to go, so let's just go. It just so happened when they got there Bethlehem had no places for them to stay. Bethlehem had no hospitality laid out for them. So it tells us here, it says, uh, um, while they were there, verse 6, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It, it tells us even though this young woman is burdened and great with child, about to deliver any minute, nobody reached out to her and said, hey, look, you know, I was coming together for a family reunion, but, you know, I could stay with Uncle Joe even though the house is, is crowded. You can have my place. Nobody did that for her. In fact, I don't know how it happened. We aren't given the details, but they did get one offer. And that was this guy who had a barn. I don't even think he had space. I think he said, you know, just fit in where you fit in. You need a place, you know, kick the cow over, squeeze in. And get in where you get in. Because it tells us that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths and he was laid in a manger. The children did a good job on the play to help give us a sense for what that would be like. I like, I like Ebenezer Bree when she came in and said, this place stinks. Because that's what it would have been like. Now, you and I, most of us, we, we're city folk. When I go to State Fair... <laughs> And I go see the different exhibits. I don't really want to see them, you know, because I smell them before I see them. And you ride on the country road and you get that good, fresh country air. Well, it ain't all so good and so fresh. We know what it is. That's where they, that was their room. And so they were placed there. So it just so happened that they had no place to stay. And it just so happened the only place they could stay was with animals. So there was no special hospitality and no special comfort. God planned this out this way. That his son would come into a world that had no regard for him from the time he was born to the time that he would die. 
John tells us that he came to his own and his own received him not. Earlier in that chapter, John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All things were made by him. He created all things, and yet the very world that he created, in every sense of it, rejected him. Outright rejected him, and we see that rejection from the very start. Most people have pity for a baby. I mean, even in the animal world, we might not like a dog, but the puppies are just adorable, and, and we, we, we can't deny, right? That's just our natural uh, inclination as, as, as living beings. But here, a woman who's about to have a child finds no place to even rest. Now we come to verse 9. Verse 8, I'm sorry. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. We can see a, a change of scenes here because the first was focused on this journey of Joseph and, and his espoused uh, Mary and their journey. And they get down to Bethlehem and the baby is born. Now the scene changes to shepherds. And the first question I would ask, well, shepherds? Really? Shepherds? Why shepherds? We're going to see a scene of shepherds and then angels. The angels I get. We'll get to them in a minute. But the shepherds still a bit of a mystery because shepherds are, are not anybody of clout, anybody of any position, of posture. They are everyday, average, hardworking people. They're not the elite of the world, you know, if we had a parade, you know, we'd have our mayor, or our governor, and, and, and the, the, the big shots in the front. We'd, we'd have um, other pol politicians that were set in. We, we would have athletes if they were on a team that we respected, you know, if they were champions. We'd have them in it. We'd have entertainers in it, people who were popular, people who were beautiful. You know, we'd have all of that in there. Guess where you would see the shepherds? You ever get on those parades that have the horses? Yeah, the guys in the clown suits with the shovels behind the horses. That's kind of like the shepherd role. Kind of like the shepherd role. Nobody really had any special regard for shepherds. You know, if you were at a party and people ask you what you did, if you was a shepherd, you'd probably try to dress it up a little bit. I'm not a garbage worker. I'm a sanitation engineer. You're trying to figure out some way to dress that up. If you were applying for a job and you were a shepherd, you probably put, wouldn't put that on your resume. It's not prestigious. It's not something that people look at and really admire. But Jesus said that he was the great shepherd. The great shepherd that will give his life for the sheep. The Bible outlines a great shepherd who turned out to be a king and his name was David. And as he went to, into the battle with Goliath, he told the king, look, I've been a shepherd. 
And when a bear came after my sheep, I went after that bear. When a lion came after my sheep, I went after that lion. He says, I will guard my sheep. The shepherd isn't a prestigious role, but it's an important role of a leader who will guard his sheep, his followers. He will protect them. He will, in fact, give his life for them. So it's the shepherds that are highlighted in verse 8. It just tells us they were doing what shepherds do all night long. They did that. Shows how faithful they were in guarding what they had to guard over. But then we're introduced to an angel and then some angels. An angel. It says in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I noticed that he appeared to these shepherds. He didn't go to Caesar Augustus. He didn't go to the high ups and the elite. He appeared to these shepherds. I want you to look at the appearance of this angel, how how he appeared to to, to these shepherds. It, It explains it this way. It says, the glory of the Lord was around them. There is a sense of glory in the Old Testament that we get a sense of light, of a brightness, of of a shining, of something that that, uh, speaks of majesty and weight for the one that it represents. These angels have a glory because they have been in, it's, it's not their own glory. They have a glory because they've been in the presence of the Lord of all heaven and earth. In fact, that's their domain. That's what they do. Do you remember earlier in Luke chapter 1? It's been a couple of weeks, but we, we looked at this one who was, the, the angel was sent down to Zacharias. And, and he gave him a message, and Zacharias didn't believe it. He says, how am I going to know this? He says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. He says, I- I'm not talking to you in just some trivial manner. I'm Gabriel. In other words, I've been, my place is to stand with God where God is. And now he sent me here and you don't believe me? He says, I'm Gabriel. My, I stand in the presence of God. I want to take you back to Isaiah chapter 6 for just a moment. I know you got to turn back a little bit, and, but I, it's important that you do that. Find Isaiah chapter 6, would you? Here we get a glimpse of some angelic beings, some heavenly beings. And I want you to see uh, something from this. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So, so this, this prophet, Isaiah, is given a vision that's out of this world, literally. It's in heaven. And what does he see? He sees in heaven God Almighty sitting on a throne. He he describes it sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe 
filled the temple. The train is, is the extension of, of your robe that, that it, it would just go on. And, and for kings and of majesty, you know, someone would probably come and, and you get the idea when we see a wedding. And you see the bride go down, and, and they're, they're watching the trail of her, her dress. Well, the train signified holiness, righteousness of the person wearing it. He said, this train was something else. It filled the whole temple. It just wrapped around one side and just kept on wrapping until it filled the whole temple. The visual there is that his righteousness, his glory, his holiness has no end. That's what he said. Now, not only that, but in verse 2, he says, Above him stood the seraphim. And we, it describes a little bit about the seraphim. It says, um, each had six wings. So we know it's more than one. And they each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And so he's got his body completely covered by his wings, but then there's one wing so he can do his job. Now what is his job? His job is to fly around and declare the glory of God. That's his job. Look what he says. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He said, they spoke to another. In other words, they, they just kept on declaring. I'll give you, give you a sense of what that's like. We have some parents who have small children. And one of the, the, the pranks that you do for a parent who has a small child for Christmas, you give that child a toy that talks that you can't shut up. That's a prank, right? Um, we, we, had, we had one of those, we had our grandson, youngest grandson, he's just, what, four months old now? Um, attached to his car seat was a toy. And every time you moved, that toy would sound off. And I was looking at it like, how do you turn this thing off? How do you turn, and I finally found out, you know, how to, I think you needed an engineering degree just to learn how to turn that thing off. But I, f I found out how to turn it off, and I turned it off. But that's a prank you do to, to, to a parent is that you give them a toy that just won't shut up. No matter what you do with it, it just keeps on, keeps on playing. You, you push a button, and it plays. You, you turn the button off, and it plays. It just keeps on going. You get the idea, right? That's the idea I get with, with the seraphim hymn. It's like their job is they don't shut up. Day in, day out, forever. What do they do? And they're not speaking nonsense. They declare the holiness of God forever and ever and ever. They're in the presence of God. They're overwhelmed with who God is. And they can't help but to declare this. It blows their mind. And all they can do is say, God, you are holy. We declare who you are. You are holy. The impact of these angels is in verse 4, Isaiah 6. It says, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. The angels, as they speak, had such a majestic voice, 
such a thunderous power of voice, or maybe it was what they were declaring was so huge and so big and so important and so weighty that the very foundations where they were shook. And it says the house was filled with smoke. The ultimate impact was the impact on the prophet. Look what he says. Woe is me. Woe is me. It gives us a sense of what it's like to be in the presence of an angel because the angel, these particular angels were always in the presence of God. I want to go back to our text now in Luke chapter 2. And it says, This angel appeared to these shepherds, and with him the glory of the Lord shone around them. So you get the sense. This is just one angel now. One angel who appears to these shepherds, and they are blown away with the glory of the Lord that seems to... That, seems to encompass the presence of this angel. It's like this angel has been so close to God Almighty that he, they could hardly look at him. He was so brilliant in his glory, they could hardly look at him. Then it says, they were filled with great fear. <laughs> Naturally, right? <laughs> That's how a human being will react to this thing. They were filled with great fear. I want you to notice the message of this angel in verses 10 through 12. First thing he says to them is fear not. <laughs> fear not. Because he knows what they're afraid of is this 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 presence that he has, because he's been forever in the presence of God, it's, it's something that is so awesome, their base response was to fear. But he says to them, don't fear. Why else would they fear? I think there's another reason why they would fear. If you look at the presence of angels throughout the scriptures, you realize angels, the word angel means messenger. So they are a messenger from God. And what kind of message do they normally give? I see that there are two messages or types of message that an angel would give. First of all, he simply declares as a, as a faithful messenger, he's simply going to tell you what's been told him by God. So he, he faithfully declares the word of God. In declaring that, I see that there, there's just simple Two things that would go. One is, I want to tell you what God has to say, and it's going to be good news. Or I'm going to tell you what God has to say, and it's not so good. In other words, they often declare in a very strong way the word of God that brings judgment down and warning. Can we just take a little quick ride through the scripture and see how this is the case? The very first angel we encounter in scripture, I believe, is in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve have sinned and God takes them out of the garden, it says he puts a cherub... In the garden, that's, that's an angelic being. He puts them in a garden to do what? To defend, to guard the garden. 
Now, if God put one there to guard, you can, I can guarantee you he was capable of guarding. And when you get close to him, you weren't about to go where you shouldn't go. It's a glorified bouncer, right? When a bouncer kick you out, you don't, you don't hire a little, you know, puny guy to be a bouncer. You hire somebody who has some ability and looks the role. You're hoping he looks the role so nobody even tries him. Well, that's what this angel was like. He not only looked the role, he meant every bit of it. I was on YouTube, you know, and y'all do this sometime too, I'm sure. Maybe you're a little more holier than me. I was on YouTube just looking at stuff, you know. And you look at these, these, um, these guards that, that are at these places of, where people can come and visit. And every, some, every so often there's some nut, some, some crazy person who wants to get in a guard's face. And it does not end very well. Those guards take their job very seriously. This angel was a guard. And so the first encounter we see in Scripture is this cherubim to guard the Garden of Eden in, in Genesis 3.24. We also see uh, in just in Genesis 19, we see angels that God sends down to bring destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about that. The message they had, now, they spoke to Abraham, um, or they were there when the Lord spoke to Abraham, but God sent them to destroy a city. That's what their message was. You have sinned. God has judged. There's no backing out now. It's too late to change. We're destroying you. In fact, you see in the Gospels that God, Jesus speaks of the angels as reapers. What is a reaper? It's one that after the crops have grown, they come and gather them up. They take the good crop and they, you know, a reaper would put the good, good crop in a, in a bucket or a bushel and throw the old, the, the no good stuff away to be burned. That's what the angels did. We'll see in, later on in the, in the Pentateuch, you'll see the angel who's called, think of his name now. He's called the death angel that came upon Egypt and Israel and says, look, if you want the death angel to to go past your house, then put blood on your doorpost and on your lintel, and he will pass over you. This angel was called the death angel, a messenger from God that delivered God's judgment. No, no, no wonder people were in awe and in fear when they saw an angel. And then in the book of Revelation, we have more appearance of angels than anywhere else. What do we see? I just want to take a quick look at um, Revelation and some of the appearances there. Um, Brian has done such a good job in, in uh, preaching through, actually just, just um, meditating through Revelation on Wednesday. We've gone, I think we're in chapter 16 now? Yeah. So, if you know... You weren't here. Most, most of you weren't here. Some of you are in, in truth seekers. I understand that. But you miss out. Whenever, whenever God's people meet, you ought to make it your point to be there because you will gain from that. And, and, and here he's gone all the way, uh, each chapter in Revelation. And, and one of the things that we see in Revelation is we see angels all over the book of Revelation. There's a reason for that. 
Revelation is the revealing of God's purpose. It's angels that often declare the message of God. And so we, we see this in, 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 in Revelation. Let's just, just in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we see the angels to the churches, messengers to the churches. Um, after that, uh, we see in, in, in Revelation 5, 2, and you can turn there with me, Revelation 5, 2, we see this angel... Um, and he proclaims, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? The scroll shows the judgments of God. In other words, they, they, they show what God is going to do in the future. Who is worthy to, to, to let that be known? Who is worthy to discover what that is, to open that book so it can be read? And no one was worthy except the Lamb of God the lion of the tribe of Judah. But it's the angel who proclaims that. In fact, it says in verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. You know, sometimes as Christians, we think we ought to always be so sweet and so nice in our speaking and never raise our voice. That's not what the angels did. This was a mighty angel. He didn't, he didn't mind intimidating people by his very presence. And he spoke with a loud, bold voice. He is speaking, thus says the Lord. And he makes that proclamation. Who is worthy to open the scroll? We see an angel and his commands in chapter 7, verse 2. And I'm going to read that. I saw another angel. Ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth. These angels are bringing, they are announcing the judgments of God. That's what they're doing. In fact, we see this repeated over and over. There, there's, starting at chapter 8, Verse 2, we see there's this series of, of seven uh, angels that blow seven trumpets. And you know what a trumpet is. A trumpet was used to, to announce the charge of war. And, and, and the Bible is used to announce the charge of God's judgment coming on the earth. Angels are the ones blowing these trumpets. In chapter 8, verse 2, it says this. <clears throat> I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. In verse 6, same chapter. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet. Verse 10, the third angel blew his trumpet. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet. Chapter 9, verse 1, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet. Chapter 9, verse 15, it says, verse 13, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And so we see in the blowing of trumpets, the, the angels are announcing judgment or woe upon the earth. We got all the way to six angels. You go to 
chapter 11, verse 15, and you'll see it says there, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. So the angels declaring that by blowing the trumpet their woes upon the earth. But go back to Luke chapter 2. I just wanted to put this in some context. In Luke chapter 2, the angel has come with a message. And it says this, fear not. Why don't you have to fear shepherds? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. I wanted you to get a sense of what it's like to hear a word from the angels. And then this angel says, now wait a minute. You're used to me announcing judgment. And there is a part of judgment here. But I'm here to announce the good news that is declared to all the people. I want you to know that God's judgment is still hanging over all the inhabitants of the earth. But what he does is he announces this gospel, this good news that's along with his judgment. That he wants men and women, boys and girls, to hear and to embrace so that they won't have to stand in his judgment. In fact, as you look at it, this good news is also judgment. But the good news is the judgment isn't for us. The judgment is on the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God has pronounced judgment of my sin. And if you trust Jesus, your sin is now placed on Jesus and he is condemned. He is judged. He takes on God's judgment. So the gospel is about God's judgment, but the good news has been removed from those who will trust in this Jesus, and it's been placed on Jesus. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. What's coming? A Savior that will bear your judgment. And so the angels often declare with great power and great weight what God has to say. And here is something else they declare with great power and great weight. So much so that this one angel declares this and all of a sudden what do we see? What do we see in Luke chapter 2? It says to us, Verse 30, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, it, it, look, heaven just bust out in praise with the angels saying, you know what? All throughout history, we have announced and we'll continue to announce God's word of judgment upon his people. But now we get that the time has come for us to announce this good news of the gospel that a savior is coming into the world. Glory to God in the highest, they say. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. God is bringing his son into the world to bear the sins of his people. It just so happened that the angels that are associated with the judgment of God protecting and proclaiming the holiness of God are now declaring that God's grace is being poured out. No wonder they're saying, listen to me, shepherds. 
They come to the shepherds because the shepherds are humble enough to hear what God has to say. Sometimes the elite, they take in what, what's being said and they ponder, did God really say this? And they got to analyze it and think about it. And, and I'm, you know, fine. If you want to analyze, you, you get to do that. But what we see is this human nature of just steps towards rejecting what God has to say. These shepherds hear this and they say, guys, what are we going to do? Let's go see this thing that's been told us. Let's see it and let's declare it everywhere we go. <laughs> that's what they did. What are some of the practical applications that you ought to take from God's truth today? It just so happened. Appreciate God's sovereignty, how he works in the minute details of life and brings about his purpose. When you appreciate that, you know, some people, sometimes we're we, we looking at every little detail in our life and we're trying to see some purpose. And, and God doesn't always tell you all the purpose. You know, you broke your fingernail yesterday you try to say, God has some purpose in this. He does, but you may never figure it out. You may never put it all together. You can stop pondering all that. God will tell you the significance. He, he brings it together. He lets you know from his word what he's doing that you ought to tie into. Learn to trust him. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, it's not that we're going to understand every minute detail of our life and how it ties into what God is doing. What it means is you trust that God is sovereign over all those details, and he knows. That's all that matters. <laughs> he knows what he's doing, and I trust him. I don't know why, you know, I had the flu or cold. I don't know why. Uh, you don't know why your check came late last week when you needed it most. You don't know why uh, little things happen to you. But what you do is you begin to trust God because you know he knows and he governs over all that. So he shows you in his word that he's taking these little circumstances in a person's life and he's using them all to accomplish his purpose so that you would see that he does that and is doing that in your life as well. Appreciate his sovereignty. Trust him. Trust him. Tell him, God, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. I don't trust my boss at work. Not necessarily because he's untrustworthy, but he can say one thing and be fired the next and can't stand up to what he promised me, right? I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. Every promise he makes to me, he keeps. I trust him. So when we're understanding this, we're saying we will trust God. He doesn't explain every detail to us, but we trust him. God's word is both a warning and a promise. It's good news to those who hear and obey, and it's judgment to those who disregard and ignore it. Take in 
God's word. Caution yourself about being haphazard as you read God's word. Read it. Ask God to speak. Ask God to open your eyes. Search. Come to church where God's word is explained and seek to know the significance of his word. You know, some people treat God's word like, like, a, um, like a superstition. I want things to go good on my job today, so I'm going to read the Bible in the morning when I wake up. I think you ought to read God's word, but not in a superstitious way that's self-serving. Ask God to show you what he's doing and why he chose you. <laughs> he might not ever tell you that. <laughs> he hasn't told me. <laughs> he said, don't worry about why I chose you. Just know that I chose you. Take in God's word. Listen to what God has to say and obey it. Make that a serious charge and effort in your life that you will give yourself over to obey God. It's a simple thing, but it's a lifelong challenge. What I mean by simple, you just simply say, Lord, whatever you show me, I accept and will obey. Without any question, I don't qualify that in any way. Now, Lord, begin to show me. Open my eyes so I can see. It's really that simple. It's a lifelong ambition because what God shows you often goes against your desire and your will. Not because his will isn't good or even good for you. It's that your desire is crooked. And you don't even know it. Your desire is so slanted towards you, it's dangerous. It won't benefit you as you think it will. But don't you trust God that he knows more about you and what he designed for you than you do? Isn't he more loving than you? <laughs> Doesn't he care more than you? Doesn't he have more control than you? And trust him. Don't take God's word for granted. Don't ignore it. I think the angels marvel at us because God has looked down with grace upon us, and he has saved us. Someone has said it in, in a way, that I disagree with. They, 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 they act like, you know, angels. I think they get confused on what free choice is. Um, men have free choice, but the angels don't, and that they, 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 they simply just rotely follow the will of God. That's not true. Angels have sinned against God, and God has judged them. Some. There are angels who are faithful to their role, and God has blessed them. And so that judgment and that blessing is sealed now. It can't be changed. And that's the way it's going to be for us eventually. It comes a time when we'll no longer make decisions. We'll no longer be open to a choice. But you better examine 
and choose and serve God now while you have that opportunity. And I will plead with you to do that. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for our lives. Oftentimes it seems like it just so happened, but you are working behind the scenes. And we can glory in that. We can thank you for that. So, Lord, we pray that you give your people a deep appreciation for what you are doing in our lives. We will welcome it, embrace it, and follow and obey you no matter what you command us to do. Help us to be like that, Lord. I would imagine Mary didn't understand all the things that were happening to her or why. Joseph didn't get a full explanation of all that was going on, but you let him know you're in control. And day by day, step by step, you gave them direction to follow you. In the overall scene, Lord, you were using them to bring your son into an environment where he would be born, that he would display your glory, that he'd be rejected by you and killed put to death, but then that he would rise again. We thank you for working in such a great way because at some point, Lord, you opened our eyes. Maybe for some listening today have, are having their eyes open right now, and maybe there's some whose eyes still haven't been opened, but you've allowed us to hear this gospel today. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace your work through your son, Jesus. We would trust him. We would obey him. We would submit ourselves to, to you because of him. We pray that we do that right now. In Jesus' name we pray.